We left off last week talking about that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For he that feareth is not made perfect in love, or hasn't come to fullness of maturity. And so we talked about some different phobias, some different things that really don't have a foothold in our lives if we have a revelation of the love of God. Amen? Now let's pick it up in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Children's Church is dismissed. Thank you, guys. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And really, these verses talk about obedience. And it talks about an obedience that comes and springs forth from joy. How many of you know that the Word God says that if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land? You know, some people are obedient, but they're not willing. And so they're not meeting the full requirement. Well, look at this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, and we'll look at this and uh, see what the Word says. Father, thank you tonight for your Word. Thank you for your people that are here. We thank you that you are the Lord that meets every need. Give us insight and revelation into your Word in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. All right. 1 John chapter 5, it says, Whosoever believeth. That Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. Verse 2, by this we know, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, or His commandments are not uh, burdensome. Okay? So, when we love Him, we then obey Him. You know, when you love someone with an intense love, you want to do everything you possibly can to please that person. I know that's the way it is in our marriage. And uh, Brenda does just about everything she possibly can do to please me. She's just got a loving heart and a sweet spirit. And I'm working on it. <laughs> but when you love the Lord and you know that He requires certain things of you, it's something you just do out of joy. It, it, it's not heavy. It, it isn't really burdensome. Think about this statement. Everything in creation obeys God's will except man. Everything in creation obeys the will of God except man. You know, as human beings, man has a tendency to barter, to try to wiggle himself or herself out of it. Man has the tendency to negotiate. But let's look over at Psalm 148 and let's just think about this for a minute. Psalm 148, and we are His workmanship, right? And, and uh, since we are, we want to make sure that we are obedient, not reluctantly obedient. Reluctant obedience is about the same as disobedience. Now notice in Psalm 148, in verse 8, it says, Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, Beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth. 
So we see then that these specific areas obey the Lord. And I think an illustration that would probably make it a little bit more clear is how many have ever read the book of Jonah? And you know that Jonah was called of God to go to a place called Nineveh. And Nineveh was a place he was to preach. But instead of heading to Nineveh, he found a ship and headed the other way. Right? And so on the way, fleeing from the will of God and in complete disobedience, what did God use to get his attention? <laughs> well, he used wind. He used waves. And he used a big fish. Or we could say it was a whale. These things were not by accident. These were under the command of the Lord. How many of you know that great fish was in the right place at the right time? And all of a sudden, the ship started going haywire. And people got the understanding that there's someone on board that must not be right. And Jonah says, it's me. So what did they do with Jonah? They threw Jonah overboard. It would have been easier to just do the will of God. Just think about getting in the, the, the belly of the great fish. That's a stinky place. It's not good for your hair. It's not good for your makeup if you wear makeup. It's not a place where you want to end up. Understand this. The disobedience can take us to some places we don't want to go. And you don't want to go. And so he delayed his obedience and delayed obedience and disobedience all have a price. Well, thank God, the fish, the whale regurgitated Jonah. And you know where Jonah ended up? Exactly where the Lord wanted him to be. Now listen, friend, if you've taken some side journeys, if you have been distracted by some of the detours on the path of your life and you've missed it and you have failed, listen, just cry out like Jonah cried out. Jonah cried out for the mercy of God. And you can cry out for the mercy of God. And God can get you back into the perfect will and plan of God. Can you say amen? Now look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Now I'm not changing the word of God, but I'm going to do a little play on words here with 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. And I'm going to insert the word living instead of using the word giving. Notice this. Every man according as he purposes in his heart. So this is something that's got to proceed from our inner man. So let him live. So let him live. You know, God wants you to live. And he doesn't want you to be bummed out about your life. He doesn't want you begrudging the circumstances that you may face in life. Hey, it comes with the territory. And so God is saying, so let him live, not grudgingly or out of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful liver. How'd you like to have a cheerful liver? <laughs> My liver is cheerful. My liver is happy. How about yours? But that's not the context of what we're talking about tonight. God loves a person that is happy about obedience 
and being in the will of God. And I believe with all of my heart that I'm looking at a group tonight that we are those people. Amen? So now back to 1 John chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 2 and verse 3 once again. Verse 2 and verse 3 of 1 John chapter 5. And what we're going to look at basically right now is we're going to look at the fact that the will of God and the plans and purposes of God are not burdensome. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Now another interesting point about verse 1, if you can put that back up there, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God or born of love, and everyone that loveth Him that begat, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. That means... We that are born of God love one another because you are born of God. We are all born from above and we are born of God. Now notice verse 3. Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Well, how is this so? I thought that being a Christian was something that was difficult and something that you should be bummed out about and you can't smile, you can't laugh. I don't know who you've been listening to, but hang around us for a while and you'll get full of joy. You'll get full of peace. You'll get full of faith and you'll get filled with the love walk. See, God's commands in the Word of God, this Bible, you could say, is like the manufacturer's handbook. Now, the manufacturer's handbook tells us what to do because he knows what's going to work best for us, right? Now, if you have a Chevrolet or a Ford or whatever your car may be, it comes with a handbook. And when something goes wrong on that car, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look at the handbook to where if you just kind of went about your own way and, well, I'm mechanical, I can do this. But, you know, you could take your whole engine apart and miss it by a 100 yards by just one bolt or one screw. And so it's the same in the realm of the Spirit. God knows best. There used to be a a movie or a a television series when I was a kid called Father Knows Best. And I just dated myself. But this is the handbook for life. All the answers for your life are here. Amen. You know, I was was watching something on television the other night. You know, sometimes on on these deals that you get free movies. And it was a computer show. And uh, it said something about the answer is not in the band or in the box. The answer is in the band. And I thought immediately to myself, you know what? The answers of life are not in my head. The answers of life are in our heart. Amen? And so that's why it's very important then to dig in and to draw from the wisdom of the Lord because all of the answers are in the handbook. And if you can't find, you know, a specific leading and you're questioning the Lord about, you just pray and God will show you. Amen? Now, His commandments are not grievous because you have been uh, equipped with the right kind of equipment whereby you can obey His commandments. Look with me at Jeremiah 31, 33. I'll show you what I mean. See, as part of the new covenant, The law of God has been written in the heart of every one of us. Glory to God. We we have been given new hearts. We are new creations. Created in the image and likeness of God. Now notice Jeremiah 31 verse 33. 
And we see here that the Bible talks about a new heart and a new spirit. Praise the Lord. Maybe I'm misquoting it, and that's all good. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. Okay, read this with me if you would. By this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and they will, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen. And so the commandments of God, they're not burdensome. How many of you know the story of, I believe it was uh, Jacob and Laban? Laban had a bunch of daughters, right? And one day, uh, Jacob saw, was it Rachel? Was it Rachel? Yeah, it was Rachel. And, and she really caught his eye. He looked at her and says, whoa, man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He wanted to get, I'm not going to use that term. He wanted to marry I was going to say he wanted to get next to, but that's a little worldly. So let's put it this way. He wanted to marry Rachel. And Laban's, you know, her dad said, well, all right now, if you, uh, you know, if you serve me for a few years here, you know, I'll, I'll give you to her. And he did. And uh, he ended up with someone else other than Rachel. What, what was her name? Leah. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but it happened. And so Leah was with Jacob, and Jacob was deceived, and all those things. But he continued to serve because he had his eye on the prize. He had his eye on Rachel. And the Word of God says this, that Jacob's service for Laban seemed like only a few days because of the love that he felt for her. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And I like what one writer said. He said this, Love feels no loads. When we're operating in the love of God, we can understand what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 11. And I'd like you to pull up Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 in the New Living Testament. It's an awesome word here tonight. Matthew 11, verse 28 and verse 30 in the New Living Translations. Amen. Everybody doing good tonight? Love feels no loads. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 in the New Living Testament. Praise the Lord. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I'll make it worse. Because I tell you what, I'm a taskmaster, and I went to the cross, and I suffered for you, and you ought to know just a little bit about it, Buster. That's what religion teaches you. No, Jesus said, look, you're weary, you're heavied out. Anybody ever been there before? We all have. But he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you rest. Okay? Now let's look at verse 29. I'm going to give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you 
and let me teach you. Is there value in being taught the Word of God? Is there value in sitting under the Word as it's taught and preached in the local church? Absolutely. He said, now, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. In other words, I'm not a taskmaster. I'm a good God. And you will find, now notice, rest for what? What is it that first goes south when life's battles bombard our lives, our souls? We get weary, okay? But Jesus has given us the cure for that. He said, come on, get in the Word. Get in the Word, and you're going to get some rest. You're going to get some refreshment. You're going to get some quietness and blessed ease. Verse 30, if you would, please. For my yoke is easy to bear... And the burden I give you, what is it? The burden I give you is light. Everyone say this with me. Light and easy. Now, I want to center in just a moment. He says, come unto me, I'm going to give you rest. In other words, in God, there is a place of refuge. In God, there is a place of rest. In Him, there's a place of refreshment. Out of Him, it's crazy. So you don't want to get out of Him. You want to stay in Him. Amen. Amen. And what I mean by that is you want to stay over in the secret place of the Most High. And you'll find rest. Years ago, Brenda and I were at Jubilee Christian Center at Pastor Dick Burnell's church, who is... Dick Brunell's a great guy. His son, Adam, is doing a great job down there. Great people. And uh, Jerry Savelle was there. How many of you ever heard of Jerry Savelle? And they were receiving an offering for Pastor Dick. And I think he was going to the Pacific somewhere, maybe Hawaii. And Brother Savelle said this as he received the offering. He says, I have discovered over the years. Now, we're talking about busy, busy men of God. Amen. And how many of you know that everyone's life who is motivated to live life to its full is busy? It's not a question whether or not we're going to be busy. The question is, what are we going to busy ourselves about? And what kind of priorities are we going to set? And how are we going to keep them in order? And that's a whole other subject right there. But Brother Savell said this, I've discovered throughout the years that there is rest in God. And that's my quote. And he says, but I have found out that there is tranquility or there is creativity in the midst of tranquility. In other words, if you can find that secret place, it doesn't have to be the Hawaiian Islands. It can be your prayer closet. It could be Coyote Hills. It could be wherever you are that you sense the presence of God. In that place is a place that is secret. And in that place, there is a fullness of joy and a fullness of the presence of God. And I discovered this, that when we get to a place of tranquility, that is also a place of solitude. A place of solitude. How many of you know what solitude means? Solitude. 
One person was quoted at saying this, that a solitude place is a place that is full of God. A solitude place is a place that is full of God. Hallelujah. So, take that for what it's worth. Now let's look at verse 4 and 5 real quickly. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Every one of you can find that place. Well, I live in the inner city. Then go out of the inner city and go to a park. Find that place of refuge. Now notice, verse 4 and 5. Let's read that together. Ready, read. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? And then verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, I want you to listen very carefully to these next few statements, because this is going to be taught, and it's going to be taught in such a way that it's going to be worth you coming to church tonight. And it simply is a teaching in a capsule on faith. Now, in Romans 10, 17, let's look at that scripture and, and bring it up. Let's, let's just not get too hurried with this. Romans, the 10th chapter, the 17th verse. Whatever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Is faith important to God? Is it vital that we live and regulate our lives by faith? You know, I, I came to an understanding recently that whatever does not proceed from faith, whatever does not proceed from faith, it could be diet, it could be... Uh, a lot of different areas, but whatever does not proceed from the bedrock of faith really is sin. Amen. Now, in Romans ten seventeen, he says, So then, faith cometh. Now, how does faith come? What's the answer? I, I'm looking for a little participation. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Notice with me, that the word, word, and faith are used in the same sentence. He says that faith will come by hearing. Now, in the Greek, it literally means this. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So faith does not come by having heard. You may have heard last year, but have you heard today? You may have heard yesterday, but have you heard today? Faith cometh. Who's it coming to? It's coming to you. And it's nurturing you in the words of faith. And it's enabling you to receive what God's got for you. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing and hearing. And hearing and hearing. And how does that come? It comes by the what? The Word of God. So notice with me these two terms, faith and the Word. They really are synonymous terms. Because you cannot separate faith from the Word. In the Word is faith, and in faith is the Word. Fred Price said it like this years ago. 
It's like, how do you separate the wet from the water? They're together. So faith and the Word are together. So it's important then that we hear the Word so that faith can come. Does faith need to come in any area of our lives? You better believe it does. Regularly, consistently feeding our hearts on the Word of the Lord. Here's what I want you to get tonight. And I'll say it a couple times so that you can write it down. No word, no word, N-O word, no faith. No word, no faith. And let's take it to the next step. If there is no faith, then there's no anointing. How many of you know this word is anointed? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. Amen? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because he said, it's the power of God. And it brings deliverance and salvation and preservation and healing and wholeness and soundness into my life. And into your life as well. So no word, no faith. No, no faith. No power, no anointing. And then if there's no anointing, according to Isaiah chapter, I believe it's 10. I might misquote it. But the Bible talks about that the yokes will be what? And the burden shall be? So yoke destroying, burden removing, power and anointing is ours. But listen, if there's no word, there's no faith. And if there's no faith, there's no anointing. I'll guarantee you, you sit in the church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, where all that's being preached is the Reader Digest, there ain't no word. There ain't no anointing. There's nobody's burdens getting destroyed. There's nobody's yokes being removed. Amen. So, no word, no faith, no anointing. And if there's no anointing, there's no burdens being removed. And if there's no burdens being removed, then there's no victory. If there's no burdens being removed, there's no victory. Who in the world wants to go through life sick? Who in the world wants to go through life so poor that they can't pay their light bill? No anointing means no victory. And when there's no victory... Folks, there's no joy. But the good news is this. Whatever is born of God, you and me, we're born of God. We're born of love. We are those that have overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, and everything that he'd throw our way, because we are born from above. Being born of God, friends, is the source of our victory. It was strange to John, the Apostle John. It was a foreign thought that he could be defeated by this world. It was strange to him, and it should be strange to us. It should be foreign to our thinking. We are not going under. We are going over. And so, when we're talking about faith, and I, and I realize that there's people on all different levels and different experiences of life, even in a crowd like this tonight, but understand that the key 
to your victory in life is faith. It's not an initial come to the altar and get saved thing. See, you know, when people ask you, and I grew up this way, well, what faith are you? Well, I'm Protestant. What faith are you? I'm Catholic. What faith are you? I'm Lutheran. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith is the victory. It doesn't say that Catholicism is the victory that overcometh the world. Or Lutheranism is the victory that overcometh the world. No! Or Baptist is the victory. Not at all. Now, they may be experiencing victory if they're operating under real faith. So it's not just, well, let's just come to the altar and exercise faith and get saved. But faith is a consistent, abiding faith. It is a reliance and it is a trust in. The word faith or believe does not mean merely to believe. But the word faith means to trust. Everyone say trust. The word faith means to confide in, to commit to, to entrust with. Spurgeon says it like this. To entrust with the very moral. The meaning of faith is confidence and reliance upon. I got a question for you tonight. Who's your trust in? Who's your confidence in? See, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but that ain't us. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Some people put all their trust in doctors. Some people put all their trust in Wall Street, but not us. We are under His Lordship. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How is it that you and I can become overcomers in Christ? Look with me at John 16, verse 33. Because Jesus has overcome the world and you're in Him, you are a world overcomer. You know, Jesus said, and we looked at it earlier in one of our lessons, that those who are growing in their walk with Christ have already overcome the wicked one. We have found out that greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. Listen, friends, there's someone greater living on the inside of you than what's coming against you on the outside. There's someone greater living on the inside of you than the pressures of life that are knocking on the door of your soul. There is someone greater, bigger, stronger than the strongest test you'll ever face. Now, we don't stick our heads in the sand like an ostrich and say, well, we're not going to ever have any difficulties. No. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world, you're going to have some tribulation. But he didn't say camp there and talk about it. But he says, but... But, (laughs) be a good cheer. Why? Because I, by the way, have already overcome the world, and you are in me, and I am in you. And glory to God, welcome to the world overcoming class. (laughs) I like it. I like it. So, overcomers not only overcome in this world, but they also have a special place in the world to come. Let me just quote this to you. In Revelation 3.22, he says, He that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You and I are overcomers. We overcome. I get excited about this. We overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we overcome by the word of our testimony. Now let's wrap this up and unpack these last couple verses if we can. Look with me at verses 6 through 8, and we'll stop in a few moments as we look 
at this very important truth. Now, how many of you know, as we preface what we're going to say, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8. Let me read that, and then we'll go back. But let me preface that by saying this. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Scripture says, in the mouth of two or three, what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Let every word be established. Okay? Now, you're going to see this in the Word of God. In verse 6, it says, This is he that came by water. This is speaking of Jesus. And blood. Even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So we see three things there. We see water. We see blood. And we see spirit. Now look at verse 7 and verse 8. And we'll go back to verse 6. For there are three, amen, that bear record, or we could say that bear witness, where? The Father, the Word, which is Jesus, right? You got that? Say this with me, Jesus Jesus. is the Word. The The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are what? They're one. Now, verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in the earth. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in what? In what? Now, let's talk about this just a little bit. Number one, the mouth of two or three witnesses. And this is pointing to Christ and his redemptive work. Number one, the water. The water. Now, there are some theologians that teach that the water and blood represent, you know, him being born into the earth and, and the, the breaking of water and those types of things. And I used to think that, but now I've come to believe that the water that the Scripture refers to is the baptism of Jesus. How many of you know that he was baptized? You know, in Matthew chapter 3, we've got to turn over there. Look at verse 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3. You're going to see in this verse, the Father speaking, the Spirit descending, and the Son being baptized. Three in one. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. Awesome, huh? And he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and lighting upon him. Woo! Verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven. (laughs) You know, sometimes I wish we could hear that voice from heaven during an altar call. Don't leave now, and I mean it. (laughs) Or turn the offering. Don't tip me. Add a zero to that. (laughs) Anyway. And lo, a voice from heaven. Who was Moses in uh, that old Charlton? Okay. (laughs) And lo, a voice from heaven. And he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well Please, I believe that John means the water of his baptism. And I believe that the blood 
is speaking of his redemptive work. How many of you know when Jesus was baptized, he was not baptized in repentance for his own sin? Because he had none. But I believe he was baptized because he wanted to completely identify with sinful humanity. And when he came by water, it was his way of saying, I'm one with you. I am here for you. That's powerful. And then there's blood. Everyone say the blood. blood. Now, when's the first time that blood began to pour out? Was it not in the Garden of Gethsemane? It was in, literally in the Greek, the place of the press, where they would press the olives, and they would get the oil out of the olives. Medically speaking, a person can get so under pressure that they literally begin to sweat blood. And that's what was happening to Jesus. Going to the cross, friends, for you and me was no small deal. It was a big deal. Him giving his life and becoming sin with your sin and my sin was no small deal. And that's why he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of judgment. But he said, Lord, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. And then he set his face like flint and he headed toward the city where they scourged him and put a crown of thorns on his head and beat him brutally to the point that he was so marred that his very visage no longer appeared to be human. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was agonized for your wholeness, and well-being. Can you say amen? amen? You see, when Jesus came by water, he was baptized. When he came by blood, it was to stand in our place and to take our punishment. The Gnostics, and really kind of the context of this whole book of 1 John is Gnosticism. They were a real corny bunch. I mean, they had some wild ideas, kind of like they do today down in Sedona, Arizona, in different places where they do a lot of strange things under some stupid so-called guru. But the Gnostics, you know, some taught, and people still teach this, listen to this foolishness, that Jesus received the Christ spirit at his baptism. He wasn't the Christ, but he received the Christ spirit. And that the Christ Spirit left him before he died on the cross because it was unthinkable to them that God could hang on a cross. But John is saying to you and to me tonight, he not only came by the water of baptism, but he came by the blood of the cross. And I submit to you tonight that he was just as much the Son of God on the cross When the Father declared at baptism, this is my beloved Son. And I believe that the Father looked down upon His Son and said, that's my Son. And in three days and in three nights, 
you're going to be raised up. That is so powerful. And we could, we could look at the, the various witnesses of the fact that it really did happen. This is not a fable. This is not a fallacy. He really, really died on the cross. The Bible says that the veil that separated man from God was torn in two. And the glory moved out. And the middle wall of partition has been broken between us. And now Jesus can come into our hearts. The earth quaked. That is not normal. The sun refused to shine. And they looked at each other. And they said, This truly was the Son of God. What a witness, huh? Now the blood and the water are external witnesses. But the next one we're going to look at and close with is the internal witness that comes as a result of receiving Jesus Christ and having the fullness and the benefit of the Spirit. Everyone say the Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Look quickly at John 15, 26. It is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is true. How many of you know that as I was preaching, you know what I'm saying is true? I'm not using the power of manipulation. I'm not using the law of idiotic attraction or influence to try to persuade you into something false. How many of you know by the anointing that the Word of God is true? How many of you know that He really was baptized? He really shed His blood. And the way you know is by the Holy Spirit. He's that witness on the inside of you. And so the Spirit bears witness to the true person of Jesus. Even as Jesus promised He would, He will testify me. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and He will show it unto you. Listen very carefully. The consistent witness of the Holy Spirit in 2010, June 30th, right here in Hayward, California, the consistent message of the Holy Spirit to us is, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. He is the one to follow. He always points to Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. So the Spirit, the water, and the blood are all consistent witnesses in telling us who Jesus is. These three agree as one. The Spirit won't tell you one thing. The water won't tell you another. And the blood something else. They're all in agreement. Amen? Well, did you get anything out of tonight? Let's all stand to our feet and thank Him for His Word tonight. Lord, we give You praise. We thank You, Father, for Your Spirit. We thank You for the Word of God. We thank You, Father, for the richness of Your Word. We are so grateful, Lord. We are so grateful. Father, help us to take that little word tonight about no faith and no word and all those things, Lord, and help us to remind us to feed on Your Word and Your faithfulness. Amen.